So the question that I want to examine today, we're going to go over a large piece of scripture. I'm going to tell you now, there's, we're going to go over one piece of scripture that we know very, very well. I'm going to blast right through that. Not even going to talk about it much. And I'm going to focus in on one little area and we'll get into that. But the question is this, uh, it's twofold. What are you known for? What are you known for? And second, what is, we're going to dial it into Spring Hill. What is Spring Hill known for? I don't have an answer for that, but I want to answer this question. What does God want Spring Hill to be known for? And what does he want you to be known for? That's a broad, broad statement, isn't it? But we're going to look at one aspect of it. What does Jesus want his church to be known for? And the church is the body. It's not a building, isn't it? So what does he want his people to be known for? Let's read John 13 and dive right in. Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour and, uh, had come to depart of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taken a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wiped them with a towel and was wrapping around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but after, afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash your feet, you have no share with me. Peter Simon said to him, Lord, not, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him, that was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet. You also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should, just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is the messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scriptures will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. 
And whoever receives me, receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified. Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked around at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table close to Jesus. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus who he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped it, dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into, into him. Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought because Judas had had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, Buy what you need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and glorify him at once. Little children, get a little while, I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You have also loved one another. But this all, uh, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterwards. Peter said to him, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. What a passage of scripture. There's so much there that can be preached on for weeks. Do you feel a tension that's, that's driving in there? You know the story, right? You know what's happening. You know what's coming. And the disciples are starting to get a little bit of wind that Jesus is leaving and they don't like that. And he's saying these things about people betraying him. And the tension is just rising. What I want to do now is look at what's happening from a 50,000 foot level. And zero in on what Jesus wants us to remember. This chapter is filled with tension to challenge the disciples in many ways. They have no idea what's about to happen. But Jesus is preparing them for big changes. What he will tell them helps us today on how we would show a watching world Jesus. It's very important. We find Jesus before the feast of the Passover is knowing he's about to die. Satan has done his work and in Judas Iscariot and the plan is put into action. Jesus finishes eating, takes his coat off, grabs a washcloth and pail and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. Now just 
Again, imagine what's going on in the tension that's building. In the room as the leader, as their leader begins doing this humble task. It would be like the president of the United States suddenly putting on an apron and washing the feet of congressmen in the Oval Office. Imagine that. Or maybe, how about this? The Queen of England putting on an apron, pulling out a bowl, getting on her knees and cleaning the feet of the royal guard. What do you think CNN and Fox News would say about all that? The world would come to an end in their eyes. But that's humble leadership. In a time when leaders demand applause, this act of humble servant leadership is shocking. And it shocked the disciples. What is he doing? Peter responds by saying what I believe many are thinking. You shall never, you shall never wash my feet. Peter understands Jesus' position, but he misses his direction. Peter puts his own judgment above the words of Jesus. And how many times have we done that? We read God's word and God's word says, do this. Don't do that. Follow me. And in our judgment, we go, yeah, I read it. I got it. But I'm going to go do it my way. Not going to do it this way. That's what Peter's doing. He's actively telling God no. And we do that so often. Jesus tells him simply this. These are my words, my phrasing. You're in or you're out. Right? You're either with me or you're not with me. Peter turns and says, wash everything about me. Wash my hands, wash my head. Jesus says, nope. Just the feet. You're clean. Jesus finishes washing the disciples' feet and, feet and tells them to do likewise. Follow his example of serving people. Jesus finishes by telling, telling them he is the Messiah. And re remember, this is a life that is about to get crazy. Does that sound like your life? I don't know a time in my life, and I bet you don't know a time in your life when things are constant, when things are not chaotic. If you've got kids or had kids, same thing. Even without kids, life itself is chaotic and turmoil. It's following after God's word. That's important. Jesus turns his attention to Judas and tells him to go and do what you're about to do quickly. And Judas runs off into the night. In the final act of betrayal. That's a lot in one night. Imagine the tension uh, building and the torment Jesus is going through. He knows his earthly life is about to end in a horrible way. His disciples are confused and don't understand the, what's going on. And the next few hours will change their life. And his disciples are running off in all different directions to avoid the painful end of the process. But he stops and wants them to know one final thing. It is the action that will keep them together through all this turmoil and a rail to guide them through the rest of their life. 
It's not a suggestion or a cute saying, not a morning meditation you say in the mirror of everything will be great and you're wonderful and life will be good. It's not a happy thought. It's a command. Strong and clear. It will be done. And this is very important. Remember what I'm saying and live it out. How many teachers do I have in here? Any teachers? Raise your hands high. You guys are proud. Underpaid, but proud. We're glad that you're there. When the crowd is when the class is chaotic, sometimes you have to make some sort of noise, some sort of to get everybody's attention again, right? Some trick that works, but it's a command. It's like, I need your attention now. And the voice comes out and it changes and everybody goes, oh, something's happening. And they got their attention. That's what Jesus is doing all of this. And he says, this is a command. Not a suggestion. Not something you should go home and think about and decide on. It's a command. The voice is lowered. The hands come together. And he says, listen up. And with the authority that he has, he says, do this. He says that to the disciples. And he says that to you. And he says that to me. He wants them to know this one thing. And let's read John 13, 34. And that's the one thing that he wants us to know. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Let's look at this and see what he's talking about. He's speaking directly to the disciples and telling them to love each other. Jesus knows that they're heading in tough times. And they need to stay together and care for one another. Not only care for each other, but take it to the next level and what? Love each other. Not only care for each other, love each other. If I was in the room, I'd ask Jesus, tell me more. Elaborate. Go on. Keep, keep talking. He elaborated and tells them to love one another as he has loved them. That's a lot to ask, don't you think? To love as Jesus loved. The clearest way Jesus loved his disciples was by making the ultimate sacrifice for them. Look at 1 John 3.16 and let's read this. Let's get an idea. For this we know love. That he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. That's a humbling, humbling thought, isn't it? And there's no easy way for me to get around that verse. Other than we should have the depth of love for each other. And we'll get into this later in this room. That we would lay our lives down for each other. In the same way that Jesus did. There's a difference between saying, love you. And telling your spouse for the first time, I love you. Here's the difference. Um, remember when, and this is going to be audience participation here, so get ready. It's an easy question. Remember the first time you said to someone, I love you, past junior high. When you really meant it, what were some of the feelings that you had? Anybody? How did you feel at that time? 
Butterflies, yeah. I was incredibly vulnerable. You lay it out there, you say, I love you. 1001, 1002, 1003, 1004. Good Lord, this is going bad. <laughs> Never mind, keep eating. What else? How else did you feel? Fear. Fear. Amen. One last one. This is a smart group, intelligent group. What else did you feel? What's next? Okay. Do you see the difference in depth? You know the difference in depth in that, don't you? That's the depth that we're talking about here, that Jesus is calling us to do. That's the, one of the ways that I can try to explain the depth of love that Jesus has for all, and we are to have for all. We'll come back to that in a moment. So what does this mean today? Dean, you just gave me a great history lesson. Thank you so much. I'm going to lunch. What does this mean for us today? Because Jesus is talking specifically to the disciples. I want to narrow it down to the application of how we treat each other in the church body. I want to narrow this down. This does not mean that we are to treat outside, people outside the church differently. Quite the opposite. We should treat everyone with the same amount of respect and love. Remember John 3.16. John 3.16 starts out, For God so loved the world. Right? God loved the world. We are to love the people of the world. Even those we disagree with. We are to love them. But for today's discussion, let's keep it within the local body, the local church. Spring Hill Church, right here. Jesus makes this commandment clear. We are to love one another. But that can be hard, right? Sometimes I don't like people. Maybe you're the same way. Don't want to be around them. God doesn't give us an option, does he? I'm to love those people. And that's something that we grow, that we grow into. Let's go back to the immediate passage and answer how he loved the disciples. I would suggest by two ways. He loved them by two ways. First, he humbly served them. Humbly served them. By washing their feet, Jesus was making a stunning statement. True love serves others rather than using position to love or to lead. Let me ask you this. Have you ever had a bad boss? How many have had a bad boss? That's one of the most horrible things. You got to go in every morning and you come driving in. And what the first thing you do, you see their car and your stomach just goes, eh, right? Another day with Ted. Another day with Sally. A bad boss who uses his position or her position as a hammer. How did that make you feel? How did it affect your work? What about the boss that cared for you? What was the difference in that? Night and day. Good friend of mine had a job high up in Pepsi. And he remembered he was probably 23, just coming out of college, an intern. And he had a presentation to give. And it was one of these old reel uh, type of um, 
oh, movie, movie things. Projector, thank you. I couldn't even remember the name. So far gone. Wasn't a computer in sight. And there are all these vice presidents and there was a president there and this was his first time to make a huge impression and what happened, he started it up and within five minutes, uh, the film went off the track. Lights went on, the VP started grumbling. He was embarrassed. He was fumbling around trying to find his papers, trying to fix this thing. He went over there to the side to get something. He looked back and he heard someone fiddling with a projector and got it up and running. And it was the president. And everybody got quiet in the room. And he said, I will die for that man. He immediately made a loyal employee because he served him. He didn't put his arms up like this and go, you better get it done quickly or I'm out of here. You're wasting my time. The VPs did that. The president got up, didn't say a word, and he just fixed it. And he gained a valuable employee that lasted for years and did tremendous work. There's something about humility. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Whoop, that's the wrong one. Go down. I'll keep reading that one. That's my next one. Philippians 2. Complete my joy by being of the same mind and having the same love. Being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not out for his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. The whom he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Let's end there. That's the humility that Christ had. Now, these verses do not say to push yourself down, to beat on yourself. It's to serve others out of humility and lift each other up. That is a great focus on Christ. Second this, he sacrificed himself for them. Jesus' sacrifice was the pinnacle of love to his disciples and the world. Because of his sacrifice, believers can live with him forever. And the best example I could think of in being willing to die for another person is the example when I speak or talk and listen to veterans of wars. And you say, why did you fight? It was at times for ideology. Nine times out of ten, it was for the person sitting right next to them. It was for the platoon they were in, the people that they loved, the people that they were around day after day after day and got to know them. And they were willing to serve and sacrifice their life for that other person. That's love. 
And that's the same thing that Christ did for you in loving you. I want to end here. The greatest example of following Christ is how we love each other. Um, I've used this example earlier today. I've seen a church come close to splitting because of the color of the carpet. It was 70s ugly orange shag carpet. And that turned into a sacred cow. And that split people down the middle because of what it represented. And there was fighting over it. Now imagine someone from the outside who's not a Christian. Who heard about this and knew about this. What would be their response? I don't want to have anything to do with it. Keep that away from me. And rightly so. Now, let's read John 13, 35. And see the impact of love on a watching world. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. See the difference? It's loving one another that showcases Christ. Because we have Christ in our life is the only way that we can truly love in the manner that Christ asks for us. By his power of his spirit will allow us to do that. But a watching world sees a group of people at Spring Hill Church who love on each other and go, what do they have? And we have Christ. That's the focus and the culture that loving Christ has. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you again. We want to thank you for how you have loved us, how you have served us. Father, I pray for your strength, your guidance, and your wisdom on how to do that. Let Bozeman see Spring Hill and say they love each other. For we want to honor you with our life, more than words, but with our actions and with our care. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love as we pray in his name. Amen.